God's grace and peace to all of you this morning, dear people, and welcome to this part of the service. Christmas time is a time when we think about salvation. Christmas is really all about salvation. In fact, the Apostle Paul said that Jesus Christ came to save sinners, of whom I am chief. But one of the beautiful results of salvation, one of the fruits of salvation, is peace. And so when we think about Christmas time, when we think about the story of God coming as a human being, coming to this earth, walking this earth, giving his life on the cross, we think about peace. God came in Jesus Christ to restore peace. Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Here we have prophecy of the coming of Jesus Christ. And in verse 7 we read once again, Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Think about that. Now, Caesar Augustus and the Roman Empire had brought a sense of stability and brought a sense of peace to the world at that time. But it was only a temporary peace. Jesus Christ came to bring everlasting Eternal peace. You know, true peace is defined not by the circumstances on the outside, but true peace is defined by a relationship on the inside. It's a relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ. And that is truly what brings peace to our lives. What then enables peaceful relationships with others. I find it interesting that when Jesus Christ came, there was a proclamation of peace. The angels brought that proclamation of peace Uh, to the shepherds, but to all mankind, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. But then also, right before Jesus left, he promised peace. Peace I leave with you, he said to his troubled disciples. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let it be afraid." You know, the Apostle Paul then says that this this is a peace that passes all understanding. The peace that Jesus Christ gives, you can't really figure it out. It passes all understanding. It's an inner peace 
that comes from a relationship with the Prince of Peace. And through that, we then can experience peace even in the midst of the storms of life. When things are not going well, when things are dangerous, when we're worried, when things are painful, when life looks to be devastating, yet there can be peace. I've said this before, but I just say it again. Uh, Joyce and family, thank you for the peace that you have shown us that can be experienced and is possible even in the devastations of life. And I think about this in the last few days. You've been a powerful example of that to our congregation. Thank you for that. It speaks about what you've experienced in your life, and it, and it speaks loudly to us of what each of us can experience, but it's because of Jesus. I was uh, sitting here this morning as uh, the service was about to begin and just kind of reminiscing a little bit <clears throat> and, um, you know, looking around, the, there's just a lot of change that has taken place. There's uh, a lot of changes in the building uh, that's happened over the years. In fact, growing up here, I realized that I'm old enough to remember vaguely a little bit of when you walk through that double door there, you went outside. And so it's a, a lot of changes has happened uh, here. But um, also some change that, that really warms my heart was as I sat here and people kept coming in and pretty soon all of the benches were filled. And, um, and you know, the thought struck me that, you know, the, the building is not the church. The building is the people. And all of you coming here, you, you are the church. And, and if, if you had, for some reason, decided to stay home, there would be no church. Because the church is made up of you. And so I just want to encourage you to keep coming. Uh, keep being a part of, of the church. And yes, you can enjoy a, a nice building and all of the, the added benefits you have here. But remember, the church is the people. And, and even though that changes a lot... Um, there's a, a lot of new people here that were not there when, um, that were not here when, when uh, none of the rest of the building was on the back. Uh, but yet it's still a church. It's still Ebenezer. And you can continue to keep it that way. And it's just a blessing uh, to be here and um, to share with you this morning. The uh, title of the message I have here is, uh, I entitled it, Offensive Christianity. Now, there are a couple of definitions to the word offensive, and I want to be clear which one I'm using so you know. What I'm thinking of this morning is, is the definition has the idea of being the aggressive versus a, a defense, such as you'd see in a, a, a basketball team. You have an offense, you have a defense. It's not the definition that means being obnoxious or causing displeasure. So I want to make sure that's clear. Part of what uh, precipitated this message, and this isn't the first time I, I shared this message, I shared it at home. Um, there's a lot of changes, obviously, that, that are taking place in our society. Um, things are quite different now than it had been 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Um, and some of that maybe causes people anxiety, um, you know, for 
for whatever reason, the things that are happening around us, um, we can be concerned about those things. And, um, you know, we're living in some very interesting times, you might say. These are changing times. Um, our parents, our grandparents uh, would probably be shocked at, to think that we would be addressing some of the, the issues that, that we face around us in society. Um, and, and some of the subjects that are talked about in the news would never have been talked about, even brought up before. Uh, for one, the, the economy is very fragile. That brings people some anxiety, and I don't know how you feel about those things. And a lot of people are saying that 2024 is going to be, a, you know, the worst ever. Well, we don't know that. Uh, but then there's things like transgenderism, LGBTQ, um, all of these things have, have come into the forefront in, in news and discussion and topics. Um, conservative voices are, are being silenced. Christians are being silenced and treated unfairly. And so my question for you is how do we as Christians respond to situations like this that we're, we're presented with almost on a daily basis? How are we to respond to these things? <clears throat> well, mainstream evangelicals would say that we should fight. We need to fight back. If we don't fight, we're going to lose it. And there may be some truth to that. Um, there, there probably is some truth that some of these things may be lost. Uh, but another option is, um, and maybe this is more typical of conservative Anabaptist groups around us is uh, to just stay out of it, to keep ourselves removed from all of these things. We won't even enter the conversation. Uh, let's just, um, you know, protect our, our circles and, and let's just try to go on with life as normal and, and, just treat life that way and, and sort of ignore those things. And uh, maybe by doing that, we can, you know, have the hope that our families and our churches will be protected from all of this stuff that's happening around us. And in other words, just keep life as normal as possible. Well, that is what I would define as defensive Christianity. That's putting up a defense and we're just going to sit here and, and we're just going to try to get through life and we're going to make it from point A to point B safely and hopefully we make it. Is that what God wants of us to do? Uh, how should we as Christians, as believers, respond in the current life that we live? God has... God has placed us all here at this, this period of time for a purpose. And so are we fulfilling what God wants us to fulfill, or are we simply living uh, defensively? Now, in saying that, living defensively and, and protecting ourselves is not entirely wrong. Uh, there is certainly value in maintaining a sense of normalcy, and, and I'll just add this, especially with with families, you have children, you have young children, they need a sense of normalcy, even in the midst of chaotic 
things. You need, you as parents in, in your home can, can create that normalcy as much as possible so that they are not affected by all of these things. That, that can be done in different ways. You don't have to talk about all of the things that happen and things that irritate you and bother you when you come home. But you can keep your family life as normal as possible so that your children do not have to have unnecessary anxiety because of the things that are happening. Sometimes it's wise to uh, not always tell your children what the things that you're struggling with. Maybe it's um, church issues or maybe it's financial issues or things like that. I've heard many people say that they grew up poor, but they didn't know it. You know, they didn't really realize it, but they, they were happy. They were content. And, and I think we have to attribute a lot of that to the parents just keeping normalcy in the family. So that's a good thing. We need to, um, to keep that. The danger is, on a larger scope, and as, as we think of our Christianity as a whole, is that we may find ourselves poorly equipped to face the things that, that come, the things that, that, that may happen, and being able to deal with people who have been adversely affected by all of these things. And, and here's where I'm, I'm wanting you to think, you know, outside of the box, outside of your bubble, your circle, if you will. I don't like to use that word bubble. It sounds too negative, but sometimes we create those. Uh, but outside of your circle, we, we need to be thinking of, you know, how are we reaching out to those around us? And do we have the tools that it takes to reach people and, and to help them through the needs that they have uh, and, and that they have been dealt with? Um, as sort of a, a crude example, I think of, uh, of fire drills we used to have in school. Of course, growing up here, there was no church school, and I went to public school. The grades one to four, I was at uh, Clay's Mill Elementary, and and then uh, five to seven is at Scottsburg Elementary, and then went to the uh, the junior high and then the senior high school. And uh, not so much in the high school, but I remember vividly, especially at Scottsburg and Clay's Mill, we would have fire drills, and they would ring the bell that went throughout the school. They would give it five short rings. And when you heard those coming, you knew that that was a fire drill and you got to get out of class. Everything came to a stop and we all had to file out and had to go out to, on the yard, the flagpole or some designated place. And then the teacher counted, made sure everybody was there. And, um, and then after all that was figured out, then they let us go back in. A lot of us boys, we were kind of hoping to look back and see smoke rising, you know, and, and you know, we didn't have to ever go back to school again, but that was not the case. Um, but you see, that was all for a purpose. Because if, if it were to happen, if there were something, then there was a plan, and we were not all caught by surprise. You can imagine the chaos it would be if there were, you know, several hundred children that all of a sudden were uh, running helter-skelter and nobody knew, had any idea who was where. And so it, it all served a purpose. And, you know, that's often how we learn things, is we learn by scenario-based training. In fact, that's what we did in, in um, EMS. You learn by scenario-based training. You know, what happens if? You know, what do you do if this happens? Um, and here's a situation. Now, what are you going to do? That's how you learn uh, to prepare for those things because most people can't, our, our minds don't think that quickly to make rapid-fire decisions that are 
are good ones uh, necessarily unless we've prepared ourselves for it. And so um, that's what I'm thinking as in, the, in this thing of offensive Christianity is if we, if we know what we think and we know what we believe, we've gone a long way in preparing ourselves to face whatever situations may come up. And, and of course, we don't know all of the scenarios that may come. We can't possibly do that. But we, we can prepare ourselves and be thinking of, you know, what, what do we think about this? Uh, what is um, the, um, you know, how, how should we address some of these things? So the alternative, in other words, is to be more proactive. Not just defensive, but, but proactive. And I'm not suggesting at all that we become activists. Please, please be, be clear. I, I want to be clear here that, that I'm not suggesting we, you know, go out and, and be activists. But much like the fire drill, um, we, we learn through, through processing it in our minds and, and what we're going to do. Um, so it's profitable for us to seriously consider the issues around us that are facing us, our culture. Um, determine what, what do we think about them. But more importantly, what does the Bible say about them? Uh, it's, it's not so much, we can have all kinds of thoughts, what we think about them, but what does the Bible say? And that's really how we need to approach all of life, is what does the Scripture say about it? Um, if, if there are issues, even things in church, um, you know, what does the Bible say? That should be, that should be what guides us in, in everything in life. What does the Bible say? Um, we, we may not always have the proper thoughts, but when we go to the Scripture, it can guide us and, and shape our thinking in a, in a correct way, and that comes through the help of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> this is what I call offensive Christianity. In other words, it is our turn. We have the ball. It's time for us to play. It's time for us to strategize. It's time for us to think and, and, and to be proactive in what, how we face life. Now, I think it's, uh, we do well to remind ourselves you know, of the, the timeless, unchanging principles that are in God's Word. Because that, that is, if, if we don't start there, then, then we have no basis for our thoughts. We have no basis for what we think. Um, I want to just share uh, one passage here, and then we'll look at some other uh, subjects. Uh, but in 1 Peter 3, um, he writes this. <clears throat> 1 Peter 3, starting at verse 13. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake... You are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed, for it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good 
than for doing evil. So uh, Peter writes here, uh, particularly verse uh, 15, notice this, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense or an answer to those who ask. How can we give an answer if we don't know what we think about something? How can we give a good defense if we don't know, you know, uh, what the Bible says? And so that's, that's the offensive part is, is, is knowing what does the Bible say. Being ready to have an answer. We need to have an answer for people who are struggling with gender identity. We need to have an answer f- for the person who claims that they're part of the LGBT movement or whatever it is. We need to have answers for these people. We can't just sit back and, and say nothing. We need to provide for them answers because, you know, in spite of what it may look like, I'll almost guarantee you every one of those people are searching for answers. And we've, we have the answers. We have the Word of God. So we need to know what we think about these things. Just because truth becomes unpopular Let's never shy away from telling it. Let's tell the truth in in spite of what may happen to us, in spite of the threats that may come. And that's exactly what Peter is saying here. He said, if you suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. It's a blessing if you suffer. It's not always going to be popular. Verse 16, he said, when they defame you as evildoers... Uh, you still have a clear conscience. It is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. So we need to be able to live life confidently, not fearful, not not troubled uh, because of everything that's happening around us, but ready to defend what is our hope with a good conscience. So I want to look at just a, a couple of areas and, and maybe to, to just, I'm not going to tell you what to think about them, but I'm going to show you the scriptures so that we can have it clear in our mind. And some of this you may think that, well, this is really elementary. We know this. We don't, and, and hopefully none of you are struggling with any of these things. Uh, if you are, you, you need to be reading the Bible. Uh, but if you're interacting with people who are, uh, it's good to just refresh our minds. You know, what does the Bible say? And the first one here is, is about marriage and gender identity. That is under attack in our society. It's, it's being lost. And um, in fact, I was reading, um, let's see, where was that? Some uh, writing or a publication from a, um, almost thinking it was a Mennonite USA church. And telling how, how they are accepting of, of all persuasions. No matter, you know, you, you come to our church, you can uh, be whoever you want to, and it listed specifically whatever gender you choose and, and all of those things. Um, they're, they're just throwing all of this out the door. And so we need to be clear what the Bible says. Uh, Genesis 127, it starts very early in, uh, in the Bible, by the way. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. That's at the, the very beginning. 
And, and this was, you see, it's the work of God. And we are created, not just something arbitrary that He chose, but in His image, in God's image, we are created. And, and so He established those two genders very early in creation, from the, the very beginning, male and female. Genesis 2, uh, starting verse 21, And the Lord God caused the deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So not only did God very early on establish the two genders, but he established marriage and how we are to live together and how a married couple join themselves together for life. God established that very early on. In other words, this is God's work, it's not man's. We don't get... To, to choose and, and to decide to change the rules. God's the one that established these rules. It is His plan, it's not ours. And now we have a lot of people that are thinking, well, they can just decide for themselves what they want to be. No, God decided that long before you ever came. And so He's the one that makes the rules and not us. And man can never rewrite what God has already established as a principle. Now, Jesus came along and he emphasized the very same point in Matthew uh, chapter 19, uh, beginning at verse uh, 4. And he answered them, speaking of Jesus, and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? Jesus is simply uh, just quoting the Old Testament writings. <clears throat> so then, they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. See, Jesus made it clear. He's, he didn't change anything. It's still God's plan. And, and God decided this long ago, that it is His plan. And so he said, what God has joined together, let not man separate. In other words, man can't rewrite the rules. It's the principle that was established for all time. <clears throat> In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul writes this about the marriage relationship. Verse 25 to 27. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. And gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. And that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that he should be holy and without blemish. You see, not only is, is marriage something that, that God established, but he had, he had more purpose in it than just simply us existing together but it was also to demonstrate our relationship with Him and our relationship with, with the, the, the church, with Jesus Christ. And so it's, uh, we soon realize that we cannot see inside the mind of God. 
but he was planning all of this long ago when he established that a man would leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife that many years later this would demonstrate the relationship of the church with Jesus Christ. And what a beautiful thing is that is, and we certainly don't want to rewrite that. We don't want to change any of that. And so it, it warms my heart when I see people, even if, even if they're not believers, you just see a, a married couple, a man and a woman who are living together and they love each other. That's, it's something just appealing about that. Uh, because they're following God's rule, what He has established. And, and of course, we want them to do that and, and for all to, to come to know the Lord as their Savior. And so you can use that as an illustration to show their, that they also have a need. Just as they've lived together, they, they have a need to be a part of a relationship with the church and with Jesus Christ. One of the, uh, the side effects that, that comes with this um, doing away with marriage and God's law is, is um, and this whole thing of um, um, degenderizing society is, you know, we're losing the, the beautiful characteristics that God has instilled in, in each of the genders. And all of you who, are, who here are, that are married know exactly what I'm talking about when you say that men and women are so different. We, we think differently. Our wives look at things totally different than, than men do. Men are more black and white and, and just, you know, get things done. And, and women are, are more on an emotional level. And, and, you know, us guys, we have a lot of things to learn when we first get married as so we begin to grasp and understand that concept. And, and realize how that all works together. And we have to recognize that it, that, that is God's design. Um, I, I wouldn't want to marry someone that thought just like I did. That would be a disaster. Uh, and so God brings that beauty into a relationship of, of two differences in how we look at things. And so we need to, to acknowledge and honor and respect that because it's God's design. And so we need to be promoting womanhood and the, and the beauty of it. It's, it's being torn down in society. We need to lift it back up and be sure that we understand it. One of the, the most uh, beautiful passages in Scripture that talk about the character of a wife is in uh, Proverbs 31. Um, you can turn there if you like. I'm actually going to read this in the NIV uh, just for clarity, but starting at verse 10. Um, is the uh, passage 10 through the rest of the chapter of Proverbs 31. And just think about as I read this. You can, can follow along whatever translation you have, but as I read this, just uh, think about the character of a woman that she's born with. And, and not all of, a lot of these characteristics come with time as they grow and mature. And, and you can see some of these things in the life of your own wife or of your mother or of, um, you know, your aunt or grandmother or someone that, that you can relate to. Uh, think of these things. Verse 10, a wife of noble character, who can find? She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. 
<coughs> excuse me, she brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. She is like the merchant ships bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it is still dark. She provides food for her family and portions for her servant girls. She considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. In her hand, she holds the distaff and grasps the spindle with her fingers. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. When it snows, she has no fear for her household, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. She makes coverings for her bed. She is clothed in fine linen and purple. Her husband is respected at the city gate where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies the merchants with sashes. She is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive, and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the reward she has earned. And let her works bring her praise at the city gate. You know, there's clearly a difference in genders here. We can see it quite clearly. This is far from describing me, but it sure comes close to my wife. I'm not trying to brag, just saying. Back to First uh, Peter chapter three. Um, Peter makes a, another interesting uh, observation there. <clears throat> In uh, verse three and four, he said this: <clears throat> "Do not let your adornment." He's speaking to the wives or, or the women here, at least. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing of gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather. Let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is very precious in the sight of God. And I just want to to pause here and, and just again to encourage you sisters to, to, to contemplate what this verse is saying. And, and I want to be careful what I say here. I don't think it's necessarily saying that, that you don't do anything to make your self look pleasant in appearance but the emphasis is on verse 4 rather let it be the hidden person of the heart that's where most of your attention should be given is your character the the proverbs 31 woman the one who is has noble character the 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 part of you that will last long be after the looks are gone, okay? We know that it's fleeting. That's, that's a given. We understand that. 
But long after that is gone, there can be a beauty that remains the rest of your life. And that's what I think Peter is, is pleading. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty. Another incorruptible means that it never dies. It, it never goes away. It's always going to be there. The incorruptible beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. Just think about that for a moment. What is precious to God about your life? He says it's that gentle and quiet spirit. And that's the, the beauty of, of womanhood. Men, we don't necessarily get that gift. We, you know, we're more, we're the leaders, we're the movers, the shakers. And uh, we stir up people, we make people angry, we can do all this. And I'm not saying we have a right to do that, but that's human nature. Um, you women are, you have to balance us out. And so this is a plea to you to, to do that part. And, and, and you know, it, and I guess my, my concern is in our society, we're just seeing that destroyed. We're seeing that taken away. We're seeing that, that you know, they're trying to put everybody on an, on an equal playing field. And that's not the way God created it. And it just doesn't work that way. And so uh, this is just a reminder of us to, to honor that, to lift it up, to never be ashamed of it, and to promote it as we go about life. And, and we need to lift up um, womanhood. It's God's design. It's not only beautiful and pleasant, but it is part, it is part of that, that demonstration of our relationship with God, with Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Well, enough on that. I want to um, look at just one more here yet. There's probably lots of topics we could talk about, but another one that, that is close to my heart, and that is children. Um, it's another tragedy in our society is the lack of concern uh, for children. Abortion continues to claim the lives of hundreds of thousands unborn babies every year just in the United States. For those who do survive and go to public schools, like <clears throat> I did, uh, they're being now brainwashed and indoctrinated by all kinds of filth that's actually coming in. Th those kinds of things, I I'm just amazed that, you know, I, I, I guess um, we were just talking about it this morning at home that um, I, I should have never turned out, I guess, because we went to public school. But, you know, public schools are different back then and and I guess I'm telling my age but we you know we had um, we had devotion public uh, devotions every morning at Scottsburg Elementary uh, students would lead out over the PA system um, with devotions and in fact uh, just this past fall uh, we had our 40th uh, class reunion and I, I was able to go to it and um, it was good seeing some, some old friends I hadn't seen for, for many, many years. Um, and yet, you know, when, when we came together, they had a meal provided, everybody paused, and they had somebody get up and, and we had a prayer um, for the meal. And so that is still in existence in, in the generation that I grew up in. Uh, it probably doesn't happen elsewhere in other places so much. Um, <clears throat> but... Um, there's a, I'm, I'm going down these rabbit trails and losing my train of thought here. 
Yeah, for those who, who do survive abortion and, and go to public school, now their schools have become a, a field of indoctr indoctrination and brainwashing our children. And so I definitely support uh, Christian schools and homeschooling for that matter. Um, then there's also the issue of child abuse and trafficking. Um, that is, uh, it's, it's a disaster uh, what's happening. It's happening on the borders. They're coming in, um, children without any parents uh, being dropped off, uh, probably for monetary reasons. And, um, and, and this is a tragedy that, you know, people in leadership and governments are, are not addressing the things that are happening to children. <clears throat> I'd like to read from Mark chapter 10, and this is, uh, this is where Jesus addressed something about children. Mark chapter 10, verse 13. <clears throat> then they brought little children to him that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. And I'll just pause there for a moment. I've, I've never quite understood what that was all about, why they would rebuke the ones who are bringing the children. But I, I guess, um, you know, I can speculate. Maybe they just thought it was interrupting the important things that Jesus, they felt like Jesus had to be doing. Anyway, they rebuked him. Verse 14, but when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. And to me, that's just a beautiful picture of what Jesus thinks about children. And, and he made them a priority when the disciples were wanting to perhaps do something more important. He made the children a priority and his ministering to them was a priority. So not only did he tell them what to think about the little children, but he showed them uh, by taking them up in his arms and talking to them and, and perhaps teaching them. He laid his hands on them and he blessed them. And so Jesus demonstrated that children are important and they, have, they are, have souls just like everyone else and we need to look at that and we need to make sure society knows that that's what we believe and that's what we cherish and that's what we're going to promote in spite of what happens around us. A couple other random verses I came across. Psalm 127, verses 3 to 5. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies at the gate. Um. You know, I've, I've heard negative things said about families with large, or large families, families that had lots of children. Uh, let's be careful. Uh, the Bible says that they are a blessing. And, you know, just growing up with our own family, sometimes when you're young, you do feel kind of overwhelmed with all of the things that happen and children getting sick and have to go to the doctor and have to go to the dentist and all of this, you know, things that happen. 
As time goes on, I, for one, realize what a blessing children are. As we grow older, and I've told them, I said, you know, someday you're going to have to take care of me. That's part of the blessing of having children. Uh, they don't like that idea very well, but um, as another verse in Proverbs uh, chapter 17, verse 6, children's children are a crown of old men, and the glory of children is their father. Uh, and I'm getting to that stage, or I'm relating to that very clearly. Uh, children's children are a crown of old men. Um, it's a blessing. Children are a blessing, and we need to always hold that up uh, as, as something honorable. God has given us these children, and, and we need to have the same compassion that Jesus had. Um, whether they're ours or not, it doesn't matter. Of all children, the innocent, and uh, those who especially are brought up in terrible situations, and they're not receiving the love and attention and care that they need. Well, I need to wrap this up, but I just want to touch on a couple things here to help us understand what we're up against. It's not just simply thinking good thoughts and, and going out and trying to live it, but, but here's what we're up against. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, uh, Paul writes, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That's what we're up against, is the wiles of the devil. It, it's not just simply some crazy person out here promoting something that's weird. We're up against the wiles of the devil. Verse 12 says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. That, my friends, is what we're up against. Principalities and powers. There's an enemy that wants to destroy the things that God has created. And it's, it looks like he's becoming successful at it. These things are being uh, destroyed, and so that is what we're up against. Now, before you think, well, what can we do? You know, this is something way beyond our pay grade here. This principalities, powers of the air, all of these, these rulers of darkness. You know, what is all of that? How do we deal with it? The next few verses, he gives us the solution, the answer. We put on the armor of God, and then he lists the armor, all of those things. And I'm not going to take time to go down through all of this, but there are, are seven things here that he mentions. And, and, um, uh, and I'll just mention what they are. And first one is truth. He's given us truth. We have truth. He's given us righteousness. That's number two. He's given us the gospel of peace. That is a message of peace and to troubled people, to those who are confused. We have that, that gospel of peace. Fourthly, He's given us faith. Fifth is salvation. All of which we need to experience before we can share this with others. We have to experience that. Number six is the Word of God, which kind of goes back to truth. We, we have it. It exists. It's, it's here for us to look and to see and read. And then finally, we have the tool of prayer. We can be people of prayer, and we need prayer. It's probably one of the most important things that we can do. It should probably be first on the list, perhaps. But we need to be praying. We need to be praying people. 
And then he concludes there, I guess you could say number eight, is to be watchful. Be watchful. And that's where, again, I see that idea of offensive Christianity. Uh, Having a plan, having a strategy, being watchful, seeing what's happening out there, being aware of it, not hiding ourselves from it, not trying to, to live in a bubble, but be watchful, be prepared. Um, a, a couple of one other passage here in Colossians 3 the first couple of verses for you were for then, if then you were raised with Christ seek those things which are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God set your mind on things above not on things of the earth so that's where we need to be thinking we live in this world, we see these things, we need to be aware of them, but we need to have our minds set on things above, our focus upon God and what He wants us to do, uh, our focus upon Jesus Christ and what He has done for us and how He showed us how to live. Let's never forget what we personally have been delivered from. Let's never forget what salvation means to you and to me. And, and, and let's always put God first, and this will help us to keep our minds clear through the craziness that's happening around in the world. The offensive Christian will not simply sit back and do nothing. Remember the, the parable of the talents. You know, there were two that were given some, of the, and they went and they put them to work. But there was one who just took his and hid it in the ground, and then all he had to offer was he had at the beginning the others there's multiplied i think god wants us to multiply he wants us to be active he wants us to be doing things not just hiding our heads in the sand but let's be active let's be proactive romans 13 um, verse 11 and do this here's something we can do he says do this knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep For now is our salvation nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. <clears throat> One more passage here and then I'll close. Second Peter 3 uh, verses 10 to 14. <clears throat> but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. So he's telling us that's, that's ultimately what's going to happen. Okay, it's, it's going to self-destruct. We can, you know, listen to the evangelicals and say we need to fight or we're going to lose our freedoms and, and all of those things. Somewhere along the line, it's going to be gone anyway. Okay, it's, that's um, a given. It's all going to pass away. Verse 11, Therefore, since, we, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness. Verse 12, looking for and hastening for the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, 
according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, and here it is, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. That's what we can do. That's my challenge to you. If we are grounded, if we immerse ourselves in the Word of in the Word of God, if 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 we are putting Him first, we're thinking upon things that are above. We will, I, I believe, without a doubt, that we will have a healthy and a wholesome view of life in spite of the things that are happening. And furthermore, we will have a message to share to people who've been disillusioned by the world. May God bless you. Let's have a song. Rise up, O men of God, have done with lesser things. been a pleasure to be here. We always enjoy coming back home and uh, visiting with you. May the Lord continue to bless you as you serve Him here wherever He's called you in your work and jobs and responsibilities. And let's uh, let the light shine to a dark world that's out there. We have the answers for them. Shall we stand for closing prayer? Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you have given us the tools um, to live life. You've given us the answers. We have your word. And Father, help us just to continue to make it a part of our lives, to grow in it, to immerse ourselves in your word, and allow you to teach us and to guide us by your Holy Spirit as we serve you here. We know, Father, that you've placed each of us here at this exact moment in time for a purpose. And Lord, we want to fulfill that. And uh, we want to let our light shine to give you the honor and the glory that you deserve. And we want to uh, give you all of the praise here this morning. Thank you, Lord, for this time of gathering and fellowship together. And may the things that we have heard and learned and read, may it 
sink deep into our hearts and uh, just help us to grow uh, together as a brotherhood, as a body of Christ. Just guide us and keep us in your care throughout this day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.